Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here. It's a great crowd, especially with JPMRC going on and everybody running around doing big army stuff. Happy to see you. Who here got a good night's sleep last night? I did not. I did not at all. So, that the, why do I tell you that? Sometimes your pastor needs you to pray for him. Right? Uh, if we're doing all the praying and y'all aren't praying for us, then then there's a problem there. We are a community of believers, right? I've got a... I've got a five-week-old baby at the house and a sick wife, which means I did not sleep last night at all. My watch told me I got three hours of light sleep, so solid, right? So pray for me. The reason I want you to pray for me, like at any point where you see me looking like I could probably fall asleep up here, is because what I have to say today is it's going to be difficult to hear, but it's really good. Difficult to hear, but really, really solid, okay? We have been going through the book of Ephesians. Um, if you're looking at the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, they're dealing with who, what is Paul's prayer for the those who are going to be reading it. This is a circular re, uh, letter, which means it's going to go to many, 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 many cities before it gets to his final resting place where they'll study it for a long time. And he's praying that they will know God and that they'll be united. And I can't think of a better prayer for our church today, that we would be known and to know God and that 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 knowledge, that thing right there of who is God and he is in me and he is in you would be the thing that unites us. Not the same football team, not the same color, not the same anything. Other than, I know Jesus. Jesus knows me. He loves me. That makes you my siblings. That's right. Right? And I like my siblings. Even though we argue. Right? So we live that way. And you go through that. And you go through the first three chapters. And then you get to here, like chapters four through six. Now it's instead of just saying, how do... What do I want you to do? Know God. Now it's breaking it down to how does knowing God look in your life? Yeah. What does living as if you know God look like? And Chaplain Dan, he did a really good job last week of breaking down the put off, put on principle. That there is this person you used to be and that should be old clothes. And you should step into the new clothes of someone who loves and is known by God. And those new clothes will fit you better the longer you wear them. Right? The more you get to know Jesus Christ, the more you decide not to put that old dingy shirt on that your wife would like to throw away. And the more you wear those clothes that fit you because you are now a child of Jesus Christ, the better they'll fit. And the thing is, we're going to continue that 
concept. We're continuing the what did does it look like to no longer be a child of the world, but to now be a son or a daughter of Christ. And that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm in Revelation for some reason. I don't know how that happened. That's another day. So give me a second. I'll give you a second as you are going to Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll start in verse 1. Love to hear some pages turning or apps pulled up or perfectly memorized Bibles. I don't know how many of y'all are there. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as cry of children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all the good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that, that becomes visible is light. Therefore, I say, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. Now that's a long passage, and there's a lot to get in there. There's probably a good six to seven sermons in that one passage, and I'm only going to give you one, okay? And what I want you to see is if you read it and you just pick it apart and you just take little passages, you could miss the overall point. It's very easy to read that and, and see it says, let there be no sexual immorality. Boom, a sermon about sexual immorality. Don't be drunk, a, dr a sermon on drunkenness. But here's the deal. I... If you just look at those verses, and this is a lesson on how to read the Bible, you have to read your Bible in context. Nobody opens up Harry Potter on page 700 and starts reading and says, oh, I know what's going on. 
I mean, you can, but who in the who, who in the world? Like, you know, there's no way you would be able to know what's going on. But you need to read these passages in context. And as I read this, as I poured over it, as I got into it, what I see is a progressive growth of a Christian. And so that what I'm going to give you today is the three progressive growths of knowing Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you the answers at the beginning of the sermon instead of making you guess them on the way. And they are these. These are, these are my points. These are going to be my points. Is that if you are walking with God, you will walk in love. And that's entry level. Entry level to Christianity is walking in love. If you want to make it up to intermediate, you're going to go to walk in the light. And then the last one is going to be walk in wisdom. And if you are going through these, you see that as you progress, the next one builds onto the next one to where these transitions, they just fold on top of each other. And the idea is when you come into being a Christian, the first thing you learn is to walk in love. The next thing is that you learn to walk in the light. And then finally, one day, hopefully you get to be wise. And that is purchased with time. Right? So what I want to do is I want to walk you through these points. Walk in love. Again, this is entry level. But if you were to ask people who haven't been walking with Christ for very long, and you were to say, what does it mean to be a Christian? They would probably answer with some version of love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If you were to talk to someone who doesn't know Christ, they say, well, I mean, either Christians are about who they hate, and that's a personality trait that we have allowed the world to see in us, or doesn't being a Christian, and I get this as a chaplain, doesn't, doesn't being a Christian mean you kind of have to love everybody? And that's kind of entry level. The idea is that you ought to love literally everyone, because who is it that Christ loves? Right? You cannot call Jesus Christ or God the Father your father and then hate the ones that he loves. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to pick and choose. You can't be like, well, God, I know you love uh, those Cowboys fans, but those Saints fans, not so much, right? And you can't just pick and choose who you want to let. I mean, Cowboys fans, that's a stretch, really, right? I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm a Cowboys fan. I grew up a Cowboys fan. It's hard these days, guys. It's rough, right? But the idea is that you ought to be able to love. But let me let me look at take you to this passage for the in, for like how it starts. Therefore, this is for you. You've come to Jesus Christ. What am I supposed to do? Okay, I know Jesus died for me. I have faith. I have faith that carries me beyond my doubts. I know Jesus was God. I know he died for my sins. I know he rose on the third day. And I know he's strong enough to forgive me for my stuff. So now what do I do? Now you are a beloved child of God. And that shapes everything. It shapes how you deal with successes. Because when you say, I am a child of God... Those successes become because God has given you power to succeed. And then your failures are way more forgivable. 
reading, I was, I was reading uh, the Screw Tape Letters. Anybody know anything about the book Screw Tape Letters? Raise your hand. Let me see you, the C.S. Lewis fans. Screw Tape Letters, right? And they're describing, and it's a back and forth weird way of describing. I'll just give you the analogy. Basically, C.S. Lewis is saying that most Christians feel as though when I fall, when I fail, when I'm not perfect, God hates me. God's angry with me. God is going to be bitter at me. I can't pray because God's mad at me, right? But if you look at yourself as a child of God, yeah. try, to, try to picture a father who has a child who is attempting to learn to walk. Get the picture? Tiny kid, just standing up, starts to wiggle around, takes the first step. The first step, what's the father do? He's walking. Oh my goodness, he's walking. Good job. Takes three steps. Good job. Oh my gosh, he's walking. He falls down. Dad's like, you stupid, stupid child. Can't. No, he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't look at that. I mean, unless you are just a miserable human being. <laughs> You're not looking at a baby that just took three steps, fell down, and said, oh, you idiot. You almost had it. Right? No, what you do is you celebrate those victories, and then you reach down, and you grab the little kid, pick him back up, help him walk. That is the picture of the father we ought to have. Not, oh, you ah, hate it when you fail. It's, let me pick you back up, hold your hand, and walk with you. And that, that, that requires for you to take a very good look at yourself as a little kid that's having a hard time walking. But you tell me, how many of you felt as though in your Christian walk, like a stumbly foot little baby? I have, often. I've been doing this a long time. And the longer I do it, the more it looks like I'm walking like a baby lamb. Like it's just crazy, right? But what we have to see is we have to see that the Father is forgiving He's loving. And what did he do to purchase the ability to reach down, grab you, pick you up, and walk with you? He came to earth. Yeah. He lived amongst sinners and sacrificed himself to pay the penalty for our sins, which means he was sacrificial, right? When we look at who God is, we have to realize that he is the God that will leave the 90 and 9 to come find us. We have to realize that he's the one that when you are astray, he's not saying, I bet he won't come back. He's running to the gate when you return. That's who he is, right? Why am I taking this time to, to explain this? Because it says, be imitators of your father. Be imitators of your father. Now, I have two children that are able to walk and one child that is not. My daughter, Ruth, who is here, has been being a rock star all morning helping out. My son's back at home. Between my daughter, my son, and my wife, I never have clean shirts. And the reason for that is Every night before we go to bed, almost every night, frequently, at least one of them comes up and says, Dad, can I wear your shirt? 
Now, they are this big, but they want to wear my shirt. And if I don't know where my boots are, where did they go? They were on little feet walking across the house, right? Why are they doing that? Because they are imitating their father. They are putting on what he wears because they love him. I'm assuming, right, Ruthie, you do love me? Yeah, okay, good. Right? That they love me and they want to do things like me. And that is the way that we are to imitate Christ. We are to put on those. Now, those clothes don't fit. They don't fit. It looks awkward sometimes. My son comes out wearing one of my hoodies, and he's stepping on the sleeves. It looks awkward. But that is who, what we are supposed to do. Be imitators of Christ. And by being imitators of Christ, that means to be loving, to be forgiving, to be sacrificial. That that is what it's supposed to be. The first heading as we go is to love, to live in love. And it's under that heading that we get this thing that looks like a right-hand turn. It looks like what you're doing, what God does is like, be loving, be loving, be loving. Oh, let's talk about something else. But what I want to tell you is that it's not. What he has been doing for an entire chapter before this was, this is what it looks like to be God, be like Christ, and this is what it looks like to be the opposite of what I'm teaching you. Right? Put off lying and instead tell the truth. Put off uh, stealing and instead work and be generous. The idea is that he is giving you polar opposites to show you how to live. And he starts this heading with be loving. To love. And then he gets into but, and that's how you know that it's a compare and contrast, that word but. Copy your father in love. Walk in love. Here's the opposite of that. And this is where I'm going to step on some toes or next to some toes. Because the world will tell you something different. This is what love looks like, and this is the opposite of love. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. See, for this, for this moment right here, I want to I convince you for, of something for just a second. Sexual immorality is the opposite of love. It is, it, is, it is a backhand to love. Love is self-sacrificing. My personal definition of love is unconditional self-sacrifice. That's the Jeremiah Verdon version. You can put it on your wall if you want to. Unconditional self-sacrifice. Sexual immorality is personal gratification for me. Covetousness is I want what you have. The idea of give me what I want at your expense. That is sexual immorality. That is covetousness. As I was doing my, my reading, uh, the New International Commentary 
says this, and it says fornication and sexual perversion of almost any kind might be included under the word, which is used for self-sexual immorality, pornea. That word sound familiar? Yeah. Says it involves any sexual indulgence outside the permanent relationship of marriage in circumstances where the sexual appetites are used merely as a means of pleasure without any sense of responsibility or care for the partner. It is ruthless greed because it is, because it is selfish indulgence at the expense of others. That's about the best de description I have heard of what it is to be sexually immoral, to, to act on sex outside of God's plan. God's plan for creating a family who says uh, he created them in his image. And I'll just step into my own personal belief is that you have a part of God's image in men and a part of God's image in women. And if you pair the two of them, you get a pretty good picture of it. But apart from the pairing, you can get a pretty messed up picture of it. And the idea of bringing that picture into one in order to create something that is good and it is beneficial for everyone is the opposite of acting on that outside of marriage. And, and, and I, I talk about this and I get a lot of looks and, you, and they say, well, why do the Christians focus so much on this version of immorality? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because the highest people in Christian history have been torn down by it. Maybe it's because whenever you see a pastor fall, that's what's destroyed them. Maybe it's because if you see a person get wrecked in their life, that's the thing that happened. Maybe it's because it's in the Bible. Matthew 15, 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles the person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. Romans 13, 13 through 14, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensitivity and sensuality, not in quarreling, jealousy, but to put the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for flesh to gratify its desire. 1 Corinthians 5.11 But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.9.11 Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexual immorality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greed, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires. Revelation 21.8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, and for the murderous, the sexual immorality, sorcerer, idolater, liar, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire. And that I'm stopping because I just didn't feel like writing anymore. It's from the beginning to the end, this warning. That God has called us to love and that he has created for us within marriage this good thing. But if we turn it to something bad, 
If we don't follow his plan, then it is destructive and it is hateful. What is the greatest good for any person? That is to know and be known by God, to have a greater relationship with God. And if God says this is the best way to do it, and we say, I don't care what God said, let me have what I want at the expense of your relationship with God, then how hateful do I have to be? And you, said, you look at the root of that word, and since we have kids in the, in the room, I've, I've probably already stretched the boundaries of what I can do. You go on your internet and you're looking at things, you just say, well, I mean, that's not hurting anyone, except for that it is destroying those people that are on the camera. It is destroying their hearts. It's destroying their lives. And a lot of them aren't even in it on purpose. They've been drugged to it. And we look at it and we say, oh, I haven't hurt anyone. They chose it. Okay, do we hate drug dealers? Are we angry at, at people who assist suicide? Are we angry at people who give people avenues to hurt themselves? Because it is hurtful and painful. Because we hurt those people. And God has a perfect plan for them. And in order for us to gratify our own selves, we are willing to hurt them. It's a big deal, don't you think? No, this isn't a lesson on uh, healthy relationships within marriages. This is a relationship, this is a lesson on love, right? Remember the heading? The heading is love. God says, walk in love. And here's the opposite. Grabbing people, grabbing things for my personal pleasure at the expense of someone else is the opposite of love. He goes on. He, he moves on. He says it shouldn't even be named among you. Shouldn't even be like. So it says it shouldn't be named on and then it goes on to talk about your language. And the idea here is, one, you shouldn't be doing it. Two, you shouldn't even be talking about it. That's not to say we shouldn't talk about healthy relationships within, the, within our families or within the church family or to gratify what God has put in place as a good thing. That is to say filthy jokes and making light of something that is evil. You shouldn't even be talking that way. How many of y'all can go to work and continue to make the jokes that you've been making knowing that God calls that hateful? Mm. Right? Yes. It's a big deal. It's not a small deal. That's right. I had a hard time deciding where to make this transition because this transition overlights. It says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I'm going to place this under walk in ch as children of the light. And we'll get there in a second. I want to clear something up. When you read this, you go, oh no, if I have done this thing, I'm going to hell. It doesn't say anyone who has done these things. It says, 
everyone who is these things. That means unrepentantly continuing to pursue it because it's part of who you are. Who goes to heaven? Who is it that is accepted into the kingdom of God? You have to, based off of all of scripture, who is it that is accepted into the kingdom of God? The one that is accepted into the kingdom of God is the one who has put his faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's it. That's the whole requirement. Put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The deal is that once that happens, the Holy Spirit is going to come in and transform you into something new. You will no longer be what you were. You will now be something brand new. Jesus even said, I'm going to make all things new. That includes you. When you accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to become something brand new. My dad tells the story of walking in when he was 22 years old, going to Sunday school, staring at the floor with a pack of Winston cigarettes rolled up into his sleeve. And he didn't quit the Winston cigarettes on the way out, but he sure didn't like them. Because he saw them as sin. There was a transforming power that when he said, yes, Jesus, I want you. You are better than everything else. It created something new. And the way my dad always explained this is, he says, before you come to Jesus Christ, y'all imagine it with me. Before you come to Jesus Christ, you are a pig. And where do pigs like to hang out? In the mud. They love to be in the mud. That's where they want to be. But once Jesus changes you, he changes you into a lamb. He changes you into a sheep. And sheep don't love to be in the mud. And here's the thing. If you take a pig, now I'm letting you know all of my country roots at this point. If you take a pig and you want to take it to the fair, and you clean the pig up, and you and some of y'all are in here like, you take pigs to fairs? It happens. Okay, just trust me, it happens. You clean that pig up, you just wash it, it squeals, you put it into its little cage, and you get it there. As soon as you open that cage, if you don't have a hold of him, which isn't easy, what happens? They are going to run as fast as they can, which is faster than you would think, to the mud. I'm going to get there as fast as I can. Now, if you take a sheep and it's running across the, the field and it trips and falls in the mud, what's it going to do? It's going to scramble as hard as it can to get out because they are different creatures. Too many of us are claiming Jesus Christ and running to the mud. You'll clean it up on Sunday, put on your nice clothes, spray some perfume, whatever it is, wear your big hat, whatever you do for church, get there. But as soon as you can, as soon as you get out of church, you are running to the mud. That's not an indictment on what you do. It's an indictment on who you are. There hasn't been a transformation in you. That's not to say you won't end up sinning. Like I said, a lamb will find itself in the mud. But it sure will hate it. Now, if you find yourself in the mud and you're saying, no, I have this repetitive sin, this thing that I keep falling into, and I hate it, that's a good sign. If you have this sin that you just fall into, and if I bring it up, you go, just mind your business. 
stay out of my bedroom. It's a good sign that maybe you just, it's not that you have to do better to know Christ, it's that you don't know Christ according to Scripture. So it says that there's no inheritance for these people who accept and love this stuff. And then it says this next part, and this is pretty intense. It says, therefore, do not... Well, I, I jumped ahead. No, I didn't. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Yeah, I did. I did. Where am I? Okay, six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon them. Let me... What does culture tell us about these things we've been talking about? It's a good thing to be celebrated, right? If you tell someone, I'm waiting till I get married. Hey, I'm waiting to get till I get married to be with my wife or my husband. I'm waiting till the right time to do these things. What does the world say to you? You're not even going to live together? You're not even going to do this? How will you know if you actually love this person? As if... That equals love. The opposite is true. The act follows the love, not the other way around. And to love someone is to want what's good for them. It says, don't let anyone deceive you. Now, who's trying to deceive you? I don't know. Culture, your friends, the world, everything around you. And we are allowing them to make decisions for our lives. Say, well, culture tells me that I'm wrong if I disagree with this. Culture tells me that I am whatever list of names you might want to call yourself. If I hold to a biblical worldview, you're closed-minded, you're bigoted, you're whatever it is. If I hold fast to what scripture says as true, then you're wrong. And it's, and it's very clear. Paul's like, don't let them deceive you. You are being deceived. If you look through history, culture is a really dumb person to follow. It just is. If you look through your personal history, all of your friends who are the same age as you, they're probably just as dumb as you. Mine are. Right? If you look at yourself, you're probably as smart as what you want at that moment. Right? Do not be deceived. The cost is too high. Don't be deceived. You're supposed to live, and this is intermediate Christian, goes beyond just loving people. Now you have to say, now what's right? What is good? Let me live in what's good. Let no one deceive you. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Who's them? The sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience? Those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Do not become partners with them. And I run into a lot of well-meaning Christians who say, well, yeah, I do this and this and this in order to hang out with the boys or the girls. And, you know, Jesus hung out with the prostitutes, and Jesus hung out with 
the drunks and the yada, yada, yada. You're almost right, yet so wrong. Jesus did not hang out with prostitutes, and Jesus did not hang out with drunkards. Prostitutes and drunkards hung out with Jesus. They came to him. And why did they come to him? Because he was just like everyone else? Because he did all the things that made him acceptable to everyone else? Or because he was so radically countercultural, radically standing on the truth, while still living up to the first point, I stand on the truth and I love you. That people looked at him and said, whoa, this is, not only does he not fit culture, but he loves me. And we have used that. Well, Jesus hung out with, with the drunkards. Jesus hung out with prostitutes and just missed that point that, no, Jesus was Jesus. Jesus did what he did. He was good, and he stood for what was good, and he called out what was evil. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. He made a whip and chased people out of the temple. He called out the Pharisees for being too hard on people. The majority of his parables were in order to slap down falseness. He called out what was was good, and then people flocked to him because he loved them. Principle one, love people. Principle two, walk in the light. That's right. For at one time you were darkness, the old man, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light. You you. Paul says it in Revelation 5. What? Should we test God's uh, 6? Romans, Romans 6. Should we test God's grace by continuing to sin? Indeed, we cannot. For what do we have in common with the heathen? What do we have in common with sin? What do we have in common with we are being made new? If you've been made new, act like it. Love people. Step 2. Find what's right, do it, and call out what's evil. I'm not telling you to go to work tomorrow and tell your boss he's evil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you see evil come up, say, no, that's evil. That's evil and I'm not going to participate. That's evil and I don't agree with it. And we have the last step. Having skipped half my notes. Walk in wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I would say that this is, this is that guy that you're trying to be like. If you see this guy, he's, he's the one that you need to live up to. This... Step one is love. Step two is know what's right and wrong based off of the scripture. Step three is know God and point yourself in his direction. It goes beyond do this and don't do that. It goes beyond this rule and that rule. It goes beyond go to church and then go to work. It is I see who God is. I see where he's going. I see his call on my life. And I'm going to point myself in that direction. 
And you say, well, I do this. And you know, well, I don't see that in the scripture. Why do you feel like you have to do that? Because I know God. And I'm walking in that direction. There, there's a mixture of walking in wisdom and walking with the Spirit in this passage. And the concept is that you will be so well-versed with who God is, so well-versed with His Spirit, that when He goes, you'll go with Him. Have I told you all that I wrestled in high school? Haven't told you, did I? It's because I wasn't that good. So, and, and this will be my last analogy before, before we, we transfer over to doing the Lord's Supper. So, just know that this, this is coming. I wrestled in that. There was this coach, Coach Sheffield. I, I did okay. Um, there's this move in wrestling. It's called the switch. It's super simple. Uh, somebody grabs you. You throw your legs straight out in the air. Reach back. It puts pressure on the other person's arm. His face hits the ground. You spin around and get a point. Right? And we did these drills. And we would literally stand up against the bleachers, throw ourselves on the ground. Like hundreds of times. Switch. That's what my coach would say to Coach Sheffield. Switch. Switch, and we just switch, switch. I mean, for hours of just listening to this man yell switch. Until we get to this uh, a, a huge uh, competition, huge like regional competition. It's at Irmo High School in South Carolina, and they have this huge floor, and it's got like six mats on it, which means you got 12 people wrestling, which means you got 12 coaches yelling. Right? And among the 12 coaches yelling, you've got 12 groups of parents screaming at their kids. And among them, you've got the cheerleaders. Who knew wrestlers had cheerleaders? You have cheerleaders who are telling us to be e aggressive. Right? And all of this is going on all at the same time. And it's going crazy, going crazy, going crazy. So I'm wrestling this guy, and he's better than me. I win the match, by the way. But he's better than me. For sure. And the reason I know he's better than me, because in this moment, I am literally in the air. He has a hold of me. My legs are up in the air. I am flying towards the mat in slow motion. Twelve coaches, twelve wrestlers, twelve groups, random cheerleaders, all screaming. My coach does not yell. He just goes, switch. What do I do? Right? I'm mid, mid, mid slam, mid air. Switch. Dude's face goes in the ground, spinning around, pinning. Yay. Got taken out the next round. Right? Why do I tell you this story? How was I able to hear Coach Sheffield over all these people? Huh? I'd heard his voice in my sleep. I could hear his voice because I'd been listening to him say this thing in my sleep. What's the difference between an intermediate and the other side? It's that they've been listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit for so long that they don't have to quote a scripture to tell you why God's telling them what to do. They've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. It takes knowing the voice of the Holy Spirit to go from a happy job to being a chaplain in the army. Just letting you know. It takes knowing the whole, because where in the Bible does it say, go ye therefore and be a chaplain in a place where people think chaplains are weird? It doesn't say it. It says, go teach the word. 
And then God spoke to your chaplain's heart and said, this is where you're going. How did they know? They've been hearing his voice long enough to recognize it. And they recognized it over the culture, and they recognized it over their own desires sometimes. They recognized it over all these things. And what you see here is it says, don't be careful. Be wise. You got limited time. I know you feel like you have 120 years, but you don't. And there's lots of work to do. Don't waste your time. Know the voice of the Holy Spirit and follow that. And to be, it's pretty amazing that when it says obey the Holy Spirit, there's an awful lot of singing that's, got, that's involved in that. It tells them to sing to each other, sing with each other, sing by yourself. Side note, a lot of singing. Go back to my original point from like the past two sermons. We don't throw enough parties. So what you see is this growth as a Christian. Start with love. Move on to what's right and wrong. And then you land on directing yourself in the same direction as God and walking. That's what it looks like to grow as a Christian. Now, do we ever have times where we need to be reminded of that? Lucky for you, our Father built into who we are this thing that continually reminds us. And it's called the Lord's Supper. There are many times where we feel like maybe we're, we're veered over this way. There are many times where we feel like we're going this way. Maybe we forgot. Maybe we've been we've we've listened to our own self. Maybe we've listened to the world. Maybe we've allowed ourselves to move away. And God instituted in with us something that he's commanded for us to do, and that is to take the Lord's Supper. And we do this in order to do what? Y'all can speak up. You can do it. It's, it's on the, it's on the I'll, I'll move. It's right here. Why do we do it? In order to do what? To be reminded. To remember. To remember that we are children of God, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to transition into a time where we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, Pastor Dan, if you come up and everybody comes up. And what I want you to do, is when it talks about the Lord's Supper, here's, here's what I want you to know. This is a thing that Christians do if you don't know Jesus Christ. This isn't for you. But we are glad you're here because you are invited to see what it means to be a Christian. If you don't believe in Jesus, please watch. If you do believe in Jesus, this is a time of reflection. This is a time where we take, we stop, and we pray, and we ask repentance. We don't just pop it in our mouth and swallow it and move on and say, hey, check the block. T for trained on this one. We say, God cleanse me. The Bible says that there are those who take the Lord's Supper in an unwise way, and they even sleep. That means that they died. This is a serious thing. And I've been that guy. I've been that guy that says, gosh, I don't want to take the Lord's Supper today because I know I'm not prepared. I know I'm not good. I know my soul is just not ready to take the Lord's Supper right now. So I'm just... I'm just going to not do it, and I'll, I'll come back around to it later. And I'll tell you what that's saying. That's saying, I like my sin. I'm going to stay in it. And maybe I will have changed my mind later. Don't do that. 
It's not a request. It's a command. Break bread with one another to take the Lord's Supper. And it is a time where you are forced to deal with the reality that Jesus paid for your sins and that he is your Lord and Savior. So we are going to be up here and we are going to have the elements prepared for you. Just come up as you as you are ready. Um, go back to your seat and we will we will do this now. So uh, like I said, as you feel led, make your way up to the center and we will provide the elements for you.